Awesome. Awesome. I apologize in advance. I'm battling a bit of a sore throat right now, but I've got water, so that's good. So that's good. Okay, so, um, you know, tonight I'm going to do something just a bit different. Um, I'm going to I'm going to need I'm going to look for a volunteer who wants to pray over the night and then do the pop thing. So, is there any volunteers here who are willing to do that? Anybody at all? To pray. He's like, "No, no, no. I can't pray." Okay, anybody at all? Any any leaders? Andrew, come on up. Come on up, Andrew. Give him a round of applause. He just sat down. <laughs> okay, he's got two. All right. You can, you can, okay, you can, they're both open. All right, we'll, we'll just count it. So let's pray over the night real quick and then do the, do the pop thing. Sweet. All right, Jesus, I uh, thank you for this night. I just thank you for this opportunity um, to learn more about your word and to all come together um, and just hear what you've spoken to Sean and what you're sharing to us. I just thank you for amazing worship and time in your presence. And I thank you for just making your presence known and showing up. And yeah, just ask for a blessing on the rest of the night in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, now a fake open it. Okay. Ready? Do I, one, two, three, or three, two, one? Three, two, one. Okay. I'm waiting. All right. <laughs> every week, every week. Okay, try it. Three, two, one. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now you get to drink both of those. You've earned it. You've earned it. All right, good job, good job. Let's give Andrew a round of applause. That was awesome. Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. Awesome, okay. So the title of my message tonight is To Know and Be Known. Everybody say to know and be known. And be known, to know and be known. We're gonna dive into that and look at what that means to know God and also be known by God. But in the 100 Day Dare, you know, who, who's, who's reading the 100 Day Dare? Even loosely, I'll take loose, I'll take loose. Okay, awesome. But in the 100 Day Dare, we are encroaching on the portion of Jesus's ministry on earth. And so we're encroaching on the portion, we're just starting to read of when Jesus was on earth and he was doing miracles, he was getting people saved, he was raising the dead, he was doing all these things. And yesterday, I believe, was the start of the portion of the 100 Day Dare where we were reading and learning about the miracles of Jesus. And yesterday we read the feeding of the 5,000. Who knows that story, feeding the 5,000? Yeah, so Jesus, you know, he's, he's got 5,000 men, men there, and the, the women and children weren't counted, so it was actually much larger than 5,000. But, you know, and they're all hungry, right? Because he's been preaching all day. He, he was just long-winded, I guess, and they were all hungry. And the disciples were like, hey, these people are all hungry. You know, we need to give them some food. We don't have money to buy it from, you know, the store. And so Jesus is like, well, what food do we have? And he's like, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. And so what does Jesus do? He miraculously multiplies the food and feeds everybody. It's a great and amazing story. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, is a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Now, I grew up with a lot of siblings in my house, so I can think I can imagine what feeding 5,000 people looked like, right? I think I can at least get a small picture. You know, like feeding 5,000 people was a lot. When Jesus did it, they called it a miracle. When my mom does it, it's just Tuesday night dinner, right? Like, it was a lot of people. And, you know, the Bible says he multiplied loaves and fish, which, I mean, that's a really cool thing for Jesus to do, right? Like, multiplying loaves and fish, that's great, but I, I'm, I'm not a fan of seafood. Like, is anybody else not a fan of seafood? Like. 
you know, obviously I would eat it if I was hungry, but I'd be like, Jesus, you know, can you, can you make a switch? Like, can I, can I get like a, some chicken nuggets, fries, and a Coke? Like, I don't know, like, can you make that happen? But of course, Jesus's ministry on earth was full of miracles and salvations, raising the dead. He was doing all these things. He was just being an amazing kind of guy. And during his ministry, a lot of people asked and wondered why Jesus came down. Why did Jesus, why was Jesus born into this world? Who was Jesus? Why was Jesus even born here? A lot of, a lot of the Jews at the time were looking for a warrior king to come down and overthrow the government. A lot of the Pharisees, they felt challenged and manipulated by him. You know, a lot of people were saying he was misunderstood. He was persecuted. He was lied about. He was beaten. Why did Jesus come down? Everyone wanted to know why. But luckily, we don't, we don't have to wonder why. Because it is said right here in this book of why Jesus came down. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be hanging out in Galatians 4 the whole time. So you can just go ahead and flip to there. Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Right there. Right there is exactly why Jesus came down. It just says it very clearly, very plainly. God sent him to buy what? Freedom. God sent him to buy freedom so that for us who were slaves to the law, so that we could, he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are a child, God has made you his heir. So right there, we know exactly why Jesus came down. Jesus came down to set people free. Jesus came down to create sons and daughters, to build that relationship. He didn't come down to put people in shame. He didn't come down to condemn people. He didn't come down to overthrow the government. He didn't come down to put restrictions or to make more rules. But instead, he came down for the matter of a relationship. He came for the matter of a relationship. He saw our struggles and our pain. He saw your struggles. He saw your pain. Because, you know, God's outside of time, right? He didn't have to wait for it to happen for him to see it. He saw your pain. He acknowledged your struggles. He acknowledged your sin. He recognized it. And the Bible says he looked at you in your worst, at your worst point in your entire life. Maybe it's not even happened yet. He looked at you in that moment and said, you are worth dying for. In that very second, he looked at you and he had an emotion rise up and said, I want to die for that person. I want to die for you just so that you could live. I don't think we can understand ever that level of compassion. I don't think we're ever going to be able to, honestly. But now you can never again say that someone wasn't willing to die for you. For the rest of your life, you're going to carry that truth that you can say, someone died for me. Someone was willing to die for me. Not at my best, right? Not at my best, but at my worst. Someone was willing to die for me. For eternity, you can say that you are worth dying for. For the rest of your life, you are worth dying for. Whenever you go through a bad breakup and words get thrown, you were worth dying for. You were worth dying for. Whenever tensions in your family rise and words are thrown around, you are worth dying for. You are worth dying for. Whenever you fail the exam to get into university, listen, you're not a failure, you're worth dying for. And I know it's hard for us to understand that sometimes because listen, I'm there all the time. 
where you're in that moment, whether you're stuck in your own sin, or there's a failure, or someone rejects you, it doesn't feel like you're worth dying for. But we have this truth that we need to hold on to. You know, a lot of people say that Jesus died for your sins. And I, 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 that's 100% true. Jesus did die for your sins. But I just think it puts the wrong perspective. He did die for your sins, but he died for you. He, he, God doesn't care about sin. Not anymore. God doesn't care about sin anymore because Jesus paid the price. God doesn't care about sin the same way we do. Let's just say that. God doesn't care about our sin or our failures the same way, the same way we do because sin can look like a big deal for us, right? Like, it, it can be like a big deal. It's like just a big, ugly face every morning that we look at. It occupies our minds a lot, but God doesn't care about sin anymore. But Jesus died for your sins, but most importantly, he died for you. So Jesus, he didn't come to overthrow. He didn't come to overthrow the government or to put restrictions. He came to build a relationship. He became a path to the Father, is what Jesus says. And in John, it says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Look at the language. There's room in my Father's house. He's, he's, he's writing it as if it's a family. If this were not so, would I not have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be, be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And, you know, Thomas, he's like, no, I don't, I don't know the way, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? But Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He came for relationships. He did. Um, how many of you guys have or had grandparents that, like, live a decent distance away? Anybody at all? Like, I'm talking 30 minutes or longer. 30 minutes or longer. Okay, I can, as a kid, I can remember, because for a long time, long periods of my life, I had both sets of grandparents living, like, about an hour away from my house. And so, you know, multiple times a year, you're loading up the car, you're getting all your stuff, you're getting your Nintendo DS in the car, and you're going on a road trip to see Grandma's house, right? And you have a long car ride, and you get there, and Grandma gives you a bunch of junk food and some cookies. So, like, is, has anybody else had that experience? Okay, okay, good. Yeah, Grandma's house is awesome. I'm just going to say that. Grandma's house is awesome. Now, this is a terrible analogy, but... As I was working on this, I, I just like to think of Jesus was the car to Grandma's house, right? We got to get to Grandma's house. We got to get to our Father's house. And Jesus was the vehicle to get us there. Jesus is the vehicle to get us there. And it's at your Grandma's house where you can build those meaningful relationships. If you want to know what the Gospels are all about, this is my main point. Jesus came so that you can know God and be known by Him. So let's look at Galatians 4.8, where this phrase is coming from. In the Passion Translation, it says, Before we knew God as our Father, we were unwitting servants to the powers that be, which, nothing, which are nothing compared to God. But now that, we are true, now that we truly know Him and are intimately known by Him, why would we for a moment consider turning back on those weak and feeble principles of religion, as though we are still subject to them? So now that we know God and are intimately and truly known by him, why would we want anything else? And as I was preparing this, I was asking myself, what does it mean to know? What, is it, what does it mean to know? Because here's the thing. Hebrew, like, 
it's, it's such a cool language. Like it's very complex. I don't know if anybody here has done any like sort of study on it. I, I don't know. But it's, it's an interesting language. The language and the definitions are so much more like descriptive and deeper than in English. And so to know someone is deeper than that. You can know about someone, but to truly know someone is a little bit different. You know, like you can know about Ryan Reynolds, right? Like you can know all the facts about him, all the movies he's been, all the roles he's had, where his house is, where he sleeps, how much money he makes. Like you can know about Ryan Reynolds. Hope you don't know where he sleeps. That'd be a little weird. Okay. <laughs> she does. I'm pr I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. You can know about someone, right? But to actually know someone and, and be, be with them and to know them better. To know someone is much deeper. And the Bible uses the word know in so many different places. Let me give you an example here. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Now, here's, here's my question. Do you think Adam was trying to figure out like, what her favorite restaurant was? I don't think so. Do you think Adam was like, where, like trying to figure out information about where her favorite spot in the garden was? No, I don't think so. Adam wanted to know Eve, Eve, Eve. He wanted to know Eve on a deep level. And so, like I said, Hebrew is very complex. It's very deep. So I, I did a little bit of a word study on no. And we're going to throw up this next graph. Okay. So I actually worked on this. You guys, I'm a scholar now. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressive. Okay. So the top is the Hebrew. And it's pronounced yada. Everybody say that. Yada. yada. It's pronounced yada. And I don't, I, I think, I like listened to like the Google pronunciation so many times, I think I'm getting it right. But let me give you just like a quick rundown of this. I'm not going to go through every single one, but these are all, actually these, there's a few more definitions of this word that I didn't include because it didn't have space. Okay? So this word is very complex and rich. So yada is the same word that was in to know and be known by God, but it's the same word of when Adam knew Eve, his wife. And it's the same word whenever someone gains knowledge. So we've got yada is knowledge, to know, learn, to, know, to gain knowledge of, to perceive, to observe, to recognize, admit, confess, to skillfully understand a task. It's also wisdom, to have wisdom from God, to have knowledge about practical things. It's also knowing a person's being. And again, this isn't knowing facts about the person, because that's knowledge. This is to like know someone's soul, like to know them thoroughly, to trust someone, and, and especially like to recognize a master as a servant or to recognize a servant as a master. And then there's also being made known. It's to be discovered, revealed, perceived, to be taught, to be instructed. And then the last one is knowing a person carnally, which that just means like, um, I don't know, I should have looked at it. It's, it's, it's not spiritual, I know. What well, is sometimes, not always though. But it's to know someone through an experience or acquaintance and to be with somebody physically. So it does include that. But the word yada is very intricate and complicated. So like I said, you can know about someone or something, but do you truly know them? You can know about a person, but do you know the person? And again, this word, the yada, let's, let's go back, let's keep that up there for just a little bit longer. This word is, it, it, it's not exclusive to just sex or knowledge. 
But whenever the Bible does talk about sex, it uses this word. And I believe the reason is because it's so much better and deeper than we, than we have that word for us, than we have the word no. So, and here's the thing. I believe that there is a large-scale attack on purity and sex in this culture. I don't know if anybody else can agree with that, but I believe there is. The world's message about sex is to do it as much as you want as long as it's not hurting anybody. I've actually heard this before on different sources. And again, like outside of being like a Christ follower or a Christian, on paper, that sounds fine. Like that sounds, as long as you're not hurting anybody, that sounds all right. But the thing is when God designed sex, he had something more appropriate in mind. It's to, he designed it to not be something that you do. It's not to be something that's fun or selfish even, but it's to connect two people together on an entirely different level. You know, the world wants to say sleeping around is fine. Watching porn is fine. All your desires that you have are fine as long as it's not hurting anybody. But God has something better than what the world wants to give. I heard a quote recently um, by Pope John Paul II, and it actually blew my mind, and I'm like obsessed with this quote. So we can just put it up on the screen. It says, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person, but it shows far too little. The problem with porn is not that it shows too much of somebody, but it shows far too little. And I believe the reason for that is because there is something that we're missing. If, if that's our only context for that, there's something that's missing. It's not that you're seeing too much of somebody, which is also true. That's not the only reason. It's that you're, the relationship and the depth of how much you know them and the intimacy is missing. And the same is true with um, having sex outside of marriage. You know, outside of a, having sleeping with somebody outside of a covenant, it's, it's not that you're just not supposed to do it or it's wrong or whatever the Bible says not to, but it's because doing that, that act is forming a deep, intimate, emotional relationship with that person, with their entire being. And it's so much more than just a physical act. And the Bible, when the Bible talks about sex, it uses that word yada, which as you can see, let's put that back up, the definition. As you can see, it is so much more. You see the bottom right is the only time it talks about sex, but everything else is that same definition. So again, the problem with sex outside of marriage and that porn is not that you're doing too much or you're seeing too much, it's that you are seeing and experiencing too little, that you are missing out on something to the point where it's just a shadow of what it was supposed to be and what it was designed to be. It becomes merely an image of personal gain. Having a sexual relationship outside of marriage. So let, let's bring this back to God. I know I went on a bit of a rabbit trail there. Let's bring this back to God. So if pornography is a perverted twist of something that's supposed to be an intimate, deep relationship that serves only your personal gain, then how does that connect to know and be known by God? And here's what I got. I believe you can have a pornographic relationship with God. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if your mission as a Christian is to know and be known on that level, then what happens when you use God only when it's convenient or looks good to you? Your relationship with God can just be an image that serves for your gain. 
You know, what does that look like? That looks like living for God on Sunday, but living for yourself on Monday. That looks like living for Jesus on Wednesday night, but living to get a chance with the girl on Friday night. That looks like living for God on your Instagram, but living for approval on your Snapchat. Are you truly knowing God and allowing him to know you, or do you simply like or enjoy what it looks like to be a Christian because it serves you your purpose? And that's what I mean by saying that. So is your relationship with God on a carnal, almost twisted level because it's only serving your purpose? And so our mission as Christians is to do two things, and these are my two points tonight, and I'm going to be wrapping up with this. Our mission as Christians is to, one, know God. Galatians 4, 6 says, So that we would know that we are his true children, that God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, my true Father. Our mission as Christians, as Christ followers, as heirs to the throne, is to, is to know God on that level of a relationship and not somebody that's putting rules over us. As a son to a father or a daughter to a father, not as somebody just waiting for you to sin and just whack you with a sandal or something. Like God is out here as your father. And so number two, our, number one is to be known by God. Our mission as Christians is number two, to be known by God. And I'm going to be inviting the worship team. They're going to come back up here as I wrap up here. I've still got some stuff to say. But number one is be known, it's to know God. Number two is to be known by God. This week I was listening to a podcast by Craig Rochelle. And if you don't know who that is, he's a, a pastor who's a speaker. He's written many books. And he's like the expert and the guru on leadership. And he was saying something really powerful. He said, your identity shapes your actions. It's not the reverse. Your actions do not shape your identity, but your identity shapes your actions. And he gave this example. It's like, once you know who you are, that dictates your actions. So if you're a smoker and you're trying to be, not become a smoker and you're trying to get off smoking, trying to break that addiction, when someone offers you a cigarette, your response reveals how you see yourself. If you respond with, no, thank you, I'm, try I'm trying to quit smoking, then you're seeing yourself as somebody who is attempting to quit smoking, as a, a smoker that is trying to stop. But if you see yourself as not a smoker, then if someone offers you a cigarette and you say, no, I don't smoke, right? It's a subtle difference, but I believe it's powerful. I believe it's powerful. You, when you, in the first response, it says you see yourself as a smoker trying to become someone else. You say, no, I'm trying to stop. You're a smoker trying to become someone that you're not. But in the second option, you're not even close to that. You're just not a smoker. And once you are fully known by God, then the title of addiction, an addict, doesn't belong in your name anymore. The title of depressed is no longer your identity. Failure can no longer cling to you. Now, Pastor Aaron preached a message this week, and he said, he was talking about healing, and he said that, you're, you may be sick, and that is true, but that's not the full truth. So you may be, you may have depressive thoughts or episodes. That is true, but it's not the full truth. The full truth is you are a son and daughter of God. You may be an addict. You may, be, you may have this addiction you're struggling with, but that's not your title. You're not a sinner barely saved by grace. You're an heir to, a, to the throne. You're a child of God that sometimes sins. 
There's a big difference. You're not an addict stuck in, stuck in addiction, but you are a set-free person and your body's just chill trying to catch up. Once you know you are fully known and fully loved, that should change your identity and then change your actions. I think a lot of times we're trying to change our actions and behavior modify so much, but we need to change our identity and our actions are going to follow that. Don't let what happened in your past rob your identity today. Like I said at the beginning of this message, Jesus died for you. He died for you personally. And I've said this before, but your worth is decided and shaped by the cost it took to obtain you. And Jesus said, your cost, your worth, is drops of God blood that I poured out for you. To know and be known by God means allowing God to define you. So let's all stand up tonight. We're going to take a moment and respond to this. And here's what I want to do with the time we have left, the remaining, you know, five or six minutes that we have left with you, with you here tonight. I just want to challenge you. You know, I want, I want us to stay in our seats unless you feel like you want to come up and kneel at the altar. That's fine. You can stand, sit, whatever you want to do. But I just want to challenge you to get in the presence of God and to ask the Holy Spirit to evaluate your identity, how you see yourself. So Father and Holy Spirit, I just ask you to fill us up, to fill us up in this place tonight, to reveal how we see ourselves and to allow us to open up our hearts so that we can know you and be known by you, to intimately be known by you. So Jesus, I just thank you for what you've done. God, we just praise you in this place tonight. Thank you, God. Let's worship. <laughs>